Welcome to Flock Talk, a podcast of GCF North. Flock Talk exists to inform, encourage, and inspire. This is your host, Dave Farley, lead pastor of GCF North. This is season two, episode four, and I'm joined once again by my esteemed colleagues, Terry Meyer. Applause. Oh, yeah. Is there an applause oh. sound? Yeah, hold on, hold on. Applause. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Man, that's real applause from a computer. And Brian Dixon. More applause. <laughs> we are currently in a sermon series called Restoring Sexual Sanity. Uh, so far, there's been four sermons. Mm-hmm. Life-changing sermons. Yes. By the Charles Spurgeon of North Spokane. <laughs> You're talking about me again? I appreciate it. Of course, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. um, but this series has ge- generated some great questions. <laughs> Uh, last episode, we, we dealt with two of them. We have three more to deal with this episode. Um, and please keep sending us your questions. Uh, we love these questions. Um, there are no dumb questions. No, there are not. But there are dumb people. <laughs> but these questions were <laughs> keep, written by smart people. Yeah, I by know. smart people. Um, okay, so Terry. Um, Real quick, if you have questions. If you have questions, where should they go, Brian? They should text... 94,000, you will text GCF question. And if you're driving, stop your car right now and text us a question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Please. Pull over. Be safe. Be safe. Yeah. Don't, don't violate Romans 13. Don't text while you're driving. Yeah. Die. Yeah. Uh, but pull over. Please text us some questions because we are desperate for questions. <laughs> All right, Terry. All right. Uh, third question. Uh, are there to be shared roles when men and women are married, both work full-time, and there are no children? Uh, in speaking of gender roles, is the woman to work full-time and take on the 60-plus items slash chores and the mental load it takes to run a household, uh, uh, you know, to nurture and care for a household? And then the second part of the question is, address the consequences of a husband continually dismissing his wife's needs uh, to feel safe and protected and provided for. And, um, and then what, what will that breakdown do to that, uh, of that woman look like? So two questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and again, the first question, if, if see, see if I've got this right, Terry, if both husband and wife mm-hmm. are working full time and, and no children and no children. Yep. Um, should they share the 60 that's a, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot. 60 chores and the mental load it takes yeah. to run a household, nurture, and care. Yeah. Um, man, this must yeah. be like a super clean house. I wonder if they're being a little facetious with that number, just saying, you know, there's a lot to do. There's a lot did, to did, do. Yeah. I, did, yeah. did Sarah write this question? <laughs> Oh boy, I sure hope not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, no, because we have kids. So. It, it, it it it's a great question. I've actually been asked this question a few times uh, on the side in this series. Um, it's a really good question. Um, what's the answer, Terry? Well, you know, in, in thinking about this, uh, it does require uh, more information. And so if that's kind of a cop out it, well, I know. So I'm going to give, I've put together what I think is going on. And if both husband and wife are working and 
husband gets home from work and is, um, uh, you know, into Netflix or YouTube or video games, video games, and uh, leaving all the chores for his wife. They probably should rethink or he should rethink that. I, you know, if they're both taking on work outside, then um, he, he should step up and, and help out. And, you know, I was uh, early on when my wife and I were uh, at church, our pastor said that he never sat down while his wife was, his wife was working. And he would, he would get up and help in whatever needed to be to just to lighten the load on his, on his wife. So I'm, I'm assuming that that's the kind of situation we're, we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and I would, I would wonder if that, okay, do, does everything need to be done like the 60 plus things, or are there some things that maybe aren't necessary? So, mm-hmm. but it does sound like there's, um, um, that's a pretty personal question. Yeah. That's, that's coming from a situation that is, uh, that's personal. Yeah. I would say that this also probably stems from just, um, not having clear expectations. Mm-hmm. And so in communicating those with each other, what, what chores are priority to the husband and what chores are priority to the wife and do those lists match at all? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And then what, what are you expecting? I think a lot of times going into marriage, it's assumed, well, you just always do the dishes. Well, maybe your spouse is like, I never had to do the dishes, so I don't do the dishes. Right. You know, like, so it's mm-hmm. not an expectation. I think that just a lot of times, especially when it comes to household chores and like, what is that going to look like? I think it's really important to, as, as silly as it might sound, to sit down and talk to each other and say, what do you expect? Mm-hmm. What's the expectation here when it comes to this? Yeah. Um, what are the things we need to get done on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis? Right. What, what are we looking for? And who's doing what, when? Um, and, and then asking in a loving way, like, how, how can I support you, mm-hmm. spouse? Whether that's the husband toward the wife, the wife to the husband. How can I support you with that load? Yeah. Um, because as I hear that question, I hear someone who is probably pretty frustrated because there's expectations not being met. Right. But I would question then, well, does your spouse know what those expectations are? And if so, like, have you guys clearly communicated with each other how you're going to execute those things? Yeah. And that, and it, the second question is, is even more personal. So it sounds like there's, there's high frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a husband dismissing the wife's needs to feel protected, provided for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, that might be a communication issue as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're expecting something, but haven't communicated it, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm assuming she probably has communicated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she's, she's, I'm assuming this is a, she, she's, she's using the language of safe protected and provided for that those those are significant mm-hmm. responsibilities that a husband is called to yeah and so if this guy is not if he's not making his wife feel safe and protected she needs to talk to the elders yeah um it's it's not like this is a this is a tertiary or a secondary issue like 
you know, he's not cleaning my, you know, cleaning the bathroom floor or he's not Mm -hmm. giving me back rubs or whatever. Like this is, this is part of his God given role is to protect his wife and make her feel safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and to provide for her. Um, And again, there's probably circumstances I'm unaware of with this question. Sure there are. Um, But I would, I would encourage her to talk to the elders and the elders can go talk to this guy and, Mm-hmm. Say, bro, what's up? You you need to do a better job of protecting your wife, providing for her, and based on the first question, you need to serve your wife. I mean, if there's no kids in the home, husband and wife should split things fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should do more. I mean, he's he's called to take up his cross and love and serve his wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when kids come, it's very different. But uh, I I think back to our first couple years of marriage, we didn't have any kids yet. We were both working full time, uh, and it was hard. We were both exhausted. Uh, I probably didn't do as much as I should have looking back to serve my wife in that context. Um, but the husband's posture should be to serve. Now, at the same time, what gets complicated here is that he is not called to be her helper. She is called to be his helper, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 1 Corinthians 11. So her posture should be, I want to help my husband. His posture should be, I want to serve my wife. So if they're if they're both taking that posture, things are going to work out. Right. Yeah. That's that, the key. And that's a that's a part of dying to yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Christ gave up His life for the church, um, we're we're called to that. To in, and, and I think a lot of men are passive in their role as as husbands. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like he he needs to um, say no to passivity, say no to what he wants to do mm-hmm. in order to serve his wife, give up his life and his own. Um, and I'm assuming again, it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Terry. It's hard when you there's more questions, more more to this that would be helpful information to know. But especially no kids, you know, you're kind of starting out in marriage, like you know. What is what does it look like? What does your daily routines look like? Things like that. You yeah. know, is is the wife beating the husband home? Is the husband beating the wife home from work? You know, like what could you do to help set things up? Right. You know, like things like that. It's like I think back early years in our marriage where it's like there were times where I would beat Sarah home or she would beat me home, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, we just try and do one or two things to just get the ball rolling so it wasn't Oh, you know, Sarah gets home and I'm sitting on the couch. I've been waiting for you to make dinner. You know, it's like, she's like, really? Like, you didn't think to, like, do anything? Like, um, next question. Next question. <laughs> All right. Um, can women be pastors according to the biblical role, roles of masculinity and femininity? Mm, great question. Great, great question. question. Um, that gets asked often at GCF. Mm-hmm. Um, and this answer needs to be, there needs to be context to this answer. And the first thing I would say is that the Bible is very, very clear that male and female are equal in worth, equal mm-hmm. in dignity, equal in value. Um, they're both saved the same way. They're both given spiritual gifts. They, they both contribute to the body of Christ. Um, they both have unique roles to play. So they're equal. They're equal. At the same time, um, there, are, there are differences that the Bible celebrates and is not embarrassed by. Uh, and the Bible is very, very clear uh, in 1 Timothy 2, 10 to 12, uh, and uh, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, 
First uh, Timothy uh, chapter three and Titus chapter one, mm-hmm. that that elders, pastors, are to be male, mm-hmm. uh, and and that that term pastor is synonymous in the Bible with the term elder, uh, bishop, overseer. So, uh, in the New Testament, a pastor is an elder, is a bishop, is an overseer. So you also probably start calling me Bishop Farley. I already do. I, I would appreciate that if you call me. <laughs> when Bishop. you're not around, we call you Bishop yeah, Farley. Yeah, that's what we call you. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, equal in worth, different in function. Yeah. Um, which 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 surprises a lot of people that are not familiar with Christianity and the Bible. Um, but for two thousand years, that the church has taught this because it's very very clear in Scripture. And by the way, when, when you look at the whole of Scripture, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, um, it's, it's one long, sustained pattern of male leadership in the home and the church. Mm-hmm. No exceptions. Well, what about Deborah in the Old Testament? She was, a, she was a judge. Well, there's a context to that story. She was a, she was a judge because the men were being passive wimps. And her being a judge was a was a judgment on Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only exception in the Old Testament. People say, "Well, well, Phoebe in the New Testament, she was she was an apostle." Well, that word "apostle" merely means sent one. Um, so there 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 are no exceptions anywhere to that rule in the Bible. Uh, you have one long history of male leadership in the home and the church. No exceptions. And then Paul is very explicit about it in the New Testament. And in fact, uh, in 1 Timothy 2, which is one of the key passages on this, 1 mm-hmm. Timothy 2, uh, we'll start in verse 8-ish. Um, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll start in verse 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says this, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, let me pause for a moment. He's talking here about rules for when the church gathers. Mm-hmm. So he's giving young Timothy instructions about, about how to conduct church. So verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she's to remain quiet. Now some people say, well, what Paul is forbidding here is authoritative teaching. So as long as a woman teaches the Bible in a non-authoritative way, then it's, it's legit. But my question is, what does that even mean? Yeah, right. What, what is non-authoritative Bible teaching? If, if you're saying to someone, this is what the Bible says, therefore do this, that by its very um, nature or essence is authoritative. Right. But very clearly what, what Paul has in mind here are two things. And, and there's a Greek word, it's called an ude. That, that separates, it's the word and, that separates these two ideas. So he says, I did not permit a woman to teach. So that's one thing. Now, again, the context here, teaching the Bible when the church gathers. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the context. I did not permit a woman to teach, or second thing, exercise authority over a man. Now, both those things are what elders do, mm-hmm. teaching and exercising authority. Uh, and if, if you keep going in 1 Timothy 3, he gives the qualifications for elders, and one of them is that an elder is a male. Well, maybe you're saying, well, Dave, that was, that's because Paul was trapped in the first century context of Ephesians. We live 2,000 years later. 
uh, context changes, cultures change. Well, actually, Paul tells us exactly what this is rooted in. So verse 13, he says, he gives a reason for this prohibition of women teaching when the church gathers. And he says, um, he doesn't say it's because there were, there were female false teachers in Ephesus, which is often what's brought up here. Rather, he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Mm-hmm. So he roots this entire conversation in the, in the, creation, man, in the creation account, mm-hmm. which means that it transcends all cultural boundaries. Right. So this still applies to us today. Um, and again, as Christians, we shouldn't be embarrassed about this. This, this is God's plan. This, this is ordained by God. Uh, and we need to celebrate equality and value and then also celebrate the important distinctions. Now, women can teach other women. They can teach children. They can counsel. They can write Christian books. Um, they can do all kinds of things, but they can't be elders, and they can't teach the Bible to a mixed audience of male and female. Yeah. Well, and that, that word pastor is, is derived from the word shepherd. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, 11, they use those two, depending on the version you're looking at, shepherd and pastor, um, are, are really the same word. Yeah. And a shepherd moves the sheep, yeah. protects the sheep, cares for the sheep. So that, that word pastor has connotations with it that, that require, necessitate leadership over, over men. And, uh, and, and I think that really alone, even the word itself, um, prohibits women from being pastors. Yeah, the, the word pastor is, is the Latin word for shepherd. Mm-hmm. So that's why theologians say that a pastor is a shepherd, is an elder, is a bishop, is an overseer. Those are all synonymous. Yeah. All right, next question. Okay. I actually think this is our last question. Yeah. Should we as Christians attend a family uh, a family member or good friend's wedding if it's a same-sex wedding. Mm. That's uh, becoming S- more and more common yeah. mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Within, the, within the church. Yeah, su- such a great question. And uh, I'm sure the person who wrote this question probably has a friend who mm-hmm. invited them to a wedding. And uh, I have a lesbian aunt. I have a two gay uncles. I love them. They're made in God's image. And uh, I want to do all I can to show them that I love them as people um, because they're made in God's image. And, and I want to respect them, um, show them kindness. But personally, I would never go to a gay wedding. And my, my perspective has changed on that over the years. Um, and the reason why I would not go to a gay wedding is because uh, when, you, when you go to a wedding, you, you go to witness vows and to celebrate mm-hmm. the union of two people. Right. And uh, I just read this morning in my devotions, Leviticus 18 says that homosexuality is an abomination. That's strong language. Mm-hmm. People often say, well... Like all sin is sin. It's all, it's all, it's all just sin. It's all equal. Well, it's not. Um, in the Bible, it's very clear that certain sins are worse than others. Yes, all sins are equally damning. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. Like 
all sin is equally damning. But like we would all say that murder and rape is worse than a little white lie or a, a, a complaining word or a slight exaggeration. Right. Uh, the Bible talks about sinning with a high hand, which is worse than just sinning. This is Old Testament language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so personally, um, I would have a, just a massive conscience wreck uh, if I went to a gay wedding. Now, man, if that was, heaven forbid, my son or my niece or my nephew, it'd be really hard to say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I would say no, and I would say I can't come for these reasons. I love you. And, you know, in a couple of months when you guys are married, we'd love to have you over to our house and drink wine together and talk about life. Yeah. Um, but I can't go to your wedding because of what the Bible says about your sin. And because I love you, I need to tell you what the Bible says about your sin. Mm-hmm. And I cannot celebrate and affirm what the Bible calls an abomination. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. My conscience won't let me do that. Now, I recognize this is... There's probably Christians that disagree with me on this, but that's, those are my personal convictions on this. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, even you know, if it were a, a service at a church under the auspices of, a, of, a, uh, of the God is or ordaining this, that God is approving this, mm-hmm. that you just couldn't be part of a celebration. You couldn't be celebrating. And in, in, like you said, that we go is a celebration of what God is putting together. And in a, in a, in a Christian church, quote, quote unquote, Christian church, um, that's something that can't be celebrated. And in your, you know, I would agree with you and, uh, and it would be heart wrenching if it were a family member or close friend not to attend. Um, I, I get why people would, would say that um, they should go because they don't want to break relationship. But at the same time, um, you don't know that act of saying, no, I love you, but I can't go might be the thing that God uses to transform someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, your attendance itself is a tacit approval of, of that union. And, um, and there are situations where I think it, um, well, I had a, as a um, school administrator, there was a family that wasn't going to church and they, uh, and so it became clear after we met that their attendance necessitated them going to church, which was a very difficult conversation. Mm. Well, he ended up going to church, falling in love with the church, becoming an elder and, and it, it transformed his family. But that was a very hard thing to do, but God used it for, for his glory and to invest in um, other people. And that verse that you had mentioned in Acts, Dave, um, because of Paul, first of all, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when he, when he went after that magician. But at the end of it, there was belief that occurred. Mm, amen. And somebody was saved because of his harshness. And, uh, and so God can use those things. Um, but instead a lot of people, okay, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to attend cause I don't want to break relationship. Well, in a, in a sense, um, the relationship in, in some regard is broken 
already. And, it, yeah. and it's not you breaking the relationship. It's, right. it's them. It's, yeah. it's their sin that's driving a wedge between you. Yeah. And more and more and more, this is going to happen in our culture where someone's going to say, if you don't use my preferred pronoun, you, you don't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're being unkind to me. You, you are rejecting me. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to commit suicide because of people like you. And more yeah. and more we're hearing that kind of language, which is just blackmail. And I'll talk more about that uh, hopefully in a later episode. Yeah. Um, but when all said and done, we have to fear God more than fearing people. Mm-hmm. And man, Proverbs and, and Psalms are so full of language about the fear of God. And on the day of final judgment, we're going to be really glad that we feared God and not feared people. And, and saying no to a, a loved one's gay wedding is going to mean you're going to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, who, who do we fear? Do we fear God or do we fear mere mortals that live 80 or 90 years? We've got to fear God. And, and, and maybe this isn't a perfect analogy, but again, what, what's happened is, is, is Christians have become so accustomed to homosexuality in our culture that, that we're no longer shocked by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, the way the Bible describes it, as an abomination. It also describes bestiality as an abomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to be graphic, but there's no way you would go to a bestiality ceremony mm-hmm. that someone invited you to. Yeah. There's no way you would do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, or like an incest ceremony or a pedophilia ceremony. Those are called abominations in the yeah. Bible. Right. So again, I, I get it. There'll probably some pushback on this, but I just want to challenge people and say, what does the word of God say about that particular sin? Um, and we can still love people and accept them as people made in God's image and disagree with their lifestyle choices. Any more thoughts on that sensitive well, question? In some regard, you are, you're not attending is to... There's an there's an aspect of honor to that as well. You you want it to be a celebration. I can't celebrate that, and so but I want people there who can. You know you can't you can't participate with them, mm-hmm. and so I think it's it's a reasonable thing to withdraw from that um, because you you just can't celebrate, mm-hmm. and that's the purpose of a ceremony is that you would celebrate that. Well, this episode may get us kicked off of iTunes, but yeah. <laughs> wherever, wherever we're being hosted. But thanks so much uh, for your questions. Please keep sending us these great questions. We'd love to answer more. Thanks for listening to Flock Talk and Ministry of GCF North. GCF North exists to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, discipleship, and evangelism. To learn more, go to our website, gcfnorthspokane.org.